Hey everyone, I'm Chris Hall and this is the Downtime Podcast, where we're going to be taking you deeper than ever into the gravity-based side of mountain biking. Before we get stuck into this week's episode, we've got two amazing supporting partners this month who both have incredible offers for you lucky listeners. InvisiFrame is the original and the best way to protect your bike so that it always looks great. Also, we all know that those small scrapes and scratches knock heaps of the resale value off your bike. So InvisiFrame is going to pay back way more than it costs when it's time to sell your bike to its lucky next owner. I've had InvisiFrame on my Cotic Rocket Max for three years and it still looks box fresh. What started out over 10 years ago as one man trying to keep his prized possession looking great has grown into the global market leader in frame protection, with precision cut kits available for thousands of different bikes. InvisiFrame is also the choice of many brands worldwide to keep their demo fleets looking fresh. In fact, the Santa Cruz that I took to Sloan King Rally came InvisiFrame wrapped and is shrugging off everything I throw at it. InvisiFrame provide kits for frames and forks in both gloss and matte finish and come delivered with literally everything you need in the box. I fit my own kit and it's actually pretty easy. Just make sure you use heaps of water and then even if you put a piece in the wrong place you can easily move it to where it needs to be. There's a really helpful video on the InvisiFrame website to show you how to do it but if you don't want to do it yourself then InvisiFrame have a global network of approved fitters that you'll also find on their website invisiframe.co.uk. As a downtime listener, InvisiFrame are kindly offering 20% off everything on their website, which includes frame and fork protection and decals too, until the end of July 2023. All you need to do is to enter the code DOWNTIME20 at the checkout over on invisiframe.co.uk. That's downtime, all uppercase, followed by the number 20. And don't stress, the price you see is the price that you'll pay as they factored in all the costs at the checkout. So head to invisiframe.co.uk now and get the best protection possible for your prized possession. Goreware is brought to you by the people who invented the most well-known and respected material in the outdoor clothing industry, Gore-Tex, so you know that their bike clothing is going to be really good. Since 1985, Goreware have been enabling us to get out on our bikes in all weather conditions in comfort. Based on quality engineering and innovation, Goreware makes technical products that last the test of time. So if you like to get out and ride whenever and whatever the weather, then Goreware is the clothing for you. A Goreware jacket has been a staple part of my riding pack for many, many years of riding and commuting, and I've recently spent some time using their latest range, and it's really good stuff. Their new Endure jacket uses Gore-Tex technology to make a jacket that's incredibly lightweight at just 272 grams. It's durably waterproof with a guarantee to keep you dry promise and highly breathable too. A drop tail and over-the-helmet hood provide extra riding protection, while the front pocket doubles as a stowaway pouch for easy packing. This was the jacket that I chose to pack for Stone King Rally, and I'm very glad that I did. Then there's the Firm Flow range, which includes a super comfortable, lightweight and highly breathable liner short, as well as shorts and pants. The shorts utilise four-way stretch fabric for total freedom of movement, and the Firm Flow pants are a great option when the temperatures start to drop and you've got spray or drizzle in the air. If you want to try Goreware's latest products, then they're very kindly offering Downtime listeners 20% off the entire range until the end of August. Just use the code DOWNTIME20 at the checkout over on goreware.com. This offer works in both the US and EU web stores. That's Downtime, all in capitals, followed by the number 20 on goreware.com. That's G-O-R-E-W-E-A-R.com. If you find the podcast provides you with some value, I don't know, maybe you've learned something that's helped you ride in all your fitness. Maybe it's got you stoked to go riding or to come back from an injury, or maybe it's just something to pass the time when you can't be out on your bike. Then it would be amazing if you're able to do a little something in return to help the podcast continue and improve by setting up a regular donation via my Patreon over at patreon.com forward slash downtime podcast. That's Patreon spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. A massive thank you to Troy Miller and Andrew Macaccio who joined that list of lovely Patreons 
ones this week. Also, if you want to represent the podcast, then there's downtime t-shirts, sweatshirts, and hoodies still available over at downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop. If you want a bit of extra downtime in your life, you can join my newsletter and you can get that done over at downtimepodcast.com forward slash newsletter. Otherwise, don't forget to follow the podcast to make sure you never miss an episode by hitting that button in your podcast app now, or there's buttons for all the major platforms to help you over at downtimepodcast.com forward slash follow. All the links for everything I've just mentioned are in the show notes for this episode over on downtimepodcast.com. All right, this episode is also supported by TQ Drives. And today I'm joined by their product manager, Daniel Tile, and their product marketing manager, Adam Vodichkova. TQ are a new name for most of us, but I believe that they represent the future of e-bike technology. Just a year ago, they launched their system in the Trek Fuel EXE, and it's received incredible praise from media and riders worldwide. We sat down at their HQ to find out about the development of this lightweight, super intuitive e-bike drive system. Find out how TQ have focused on the rider to ensure the technology works hand in hand with how we actually ride bikes. Hear how they've achieved all this in such a small and light package. It's awesome to see what this brand have achieved in such a small time. And I think it's going to be super exciting to see where they take this approach to e-bike drivetrains. So without further ado, here's Anna and Daniel from TQ Drives. Anna Vodichkova and Daniel Tile, welcome to the Downtime Podcast. How are you doing? Very good. Thanks for having us. Yeah, All a, good, thank you. It's a pleasure to have you on board. And yeah, thanks Anna for... Uh, hosting me and showing me around the TQ facilities over the last half a day or so. It's been really interesting to get some background and, and see the place after having spent a bit of time riding the product recently. But we'll talk about all that as we get through this. Um, before we do that, Anna, just give us a little bit of background on TQ as a company, because I think a lot of people, this will probably be the first time they've like heard about TQ. Yeah, for sure. Um, so TQ has been founded in 1994 by two of our founders who are still the CEOs of the company. Rüdiger Stahl and Detlef Schneider. Um, we're a Germany-based company, family-owned. We're at 2,000 employees right now. And the main sector that we work in is the electronical engineering and manufacturing services, so E-Square MS. It's a classic B2B case, so people wouldn't know us because we're built into a lot of tech that people actually use on an everyday basis. And a lot of smart and innovative products but it's something that you wouldn't you wouldn't see tq in front of yourself in a product yeah uh-huh. very much a family company yeah yeah definitely still founder and family owned we are at 2000 employees right now so we're growing quite fast yeah for an electronics company for sure uh, how many of those uh, employees are working kind of in the e-bike space so at the location we are at right now, we're in Inningham Amasi. Mm-hmm. So that's about two, 200 people, yeah. but we're sharing this facility with the whole drive system um, business unit, uh-huh. which means that the drive systems for e-bikes, but also for the other industrial applications, it all takes place in here. Okay. So we're all sharing that. Yeah, makes sense. And um, how does involvement with e-bikes come about then? Because it's been quite a long time that TQ have been working in that space right yeah so i think the first motor was the hbr 120 mm-hmm. s <laughs> and we launched it about 10 years ago in a concept bike um and then it didn't really have it hasn't really been ridden for too long and then in 2000 
18, 17, 18, we had a big breakthrough with Highbike and M1, which are two local companies in here. I think Highbike, pretty much everybody in the e-bike segment knows who they are. Yeah. M1 is a smaller local company from Bavaria. And uh, we launched with them, but that's been a while back now. Okay, interesting. And Daniel, how about you? How did you end up getting involved with Tiki? Ah, that's a good story. Um, so I've been a product manager for quite some time, okay. for the past 10 years. Um, I have a mechanical engineering background and I kind of yeah, I got tired of automotive and I needed to move somewhere where my passion is closer. Uh-huh. So I started um, as a product manager for outdoor equipment and rock climbing equipment. Okay. And I was always a good friend of uh, Simon and Simon is the head of uh, the e-bike business unit. Mm-hmm. And he was always trying to get me on board. And I, I was working for a small company that I didn't really wanted to turn my back on. Um, so it was a bit of a, a challenge for him to get me, but after five years, it felt right, and I, I switched to TQ. Awesome. Um, when was that? Been doing that for six years. Now. Six years. Okay. Yeah. So what was HPR fifty started when you joined? Like no, what state no. were things in? Yeah. So we had the HPR one twenty S. Don't ask what the S stands for. <laughs> um, so that was an existing product when I came on board, and yeah. we were kind of in the middle of the development with Highbike, and. Um, yeah, we were kind of looking for um, business opportunities, business development, um, seeing where the potential of the big motor lies and and talking to a lot of people, trying to connect with a lot of people um, just to get a better feeling for where where we could place our next step. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we learned that the technology was super cool that we had and the, the, the potential that it offered. Um, and I think it was just a... It sounds easy, but it was just a thing of scaling it in a different direction uh-huh. to what, better fit the market. Yeah, yeah, what came first then? Was it the, the decision from you guys to, to create a product at that size and power, or was it Trek kind of seeing the technology and saying, hey guys, like we think this could be interesting? It was a bit of a mix. So okay. we were talking to um, a few different people and getting influences, and they, it, we had like a... Everyone was saying the same thing. They felt like the technology is amazing. The the power that the HPR 120 had, 120 newton meters, is impressive and mm-hmm. fun somehow. But it's it's just too niche. Uh-huh. And um, so we were having these conversations, and then we got a very very um, good connection with Trek, and they really pushed us, and they really got the ball rolling. Mm-hmm. So um, they they really challenged us and said, hey, take your technology, it's amazing, and just show us how far you can scale this thing down. Yeah. And um, that's how, what kind of got the ball rolling. So they were ready to invest their time, their feedback, and also like, yeah, money to build test bikes and everything, get prototypes up and going. Yeah. So they really gave us the confidence to move forward. Yeah, that's really exciting. So where were you at, like roughly with the 120 then, sort of weight I guess is the key thing here. Weight of the the drive unit itself was around four kilos. Okay. So um, at that time that was fine. Yeah. It was okay. Um, but now I mean with HPR fifty we're at one point eight kilos. So that's uh, quite a difference. Yeah. yeah, that is a huge change. And a big part of the technology is this harmonic pin ring. And yeah. That is kind of, I guess the the crux of it. That's what enables you to do what you're doing. Can you explain what that is and kind of what it's doing for you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's complex. So I'll try. <laughs> um, just ask if anything is not really clear. For sure. Um, so, every e-bike motor has um, has an electric motor inside, and then uh, 
a set of cogwheels or planetary gears mm -hmm. to kind of um, bring the high fast spinning RPMs of the electric motor yeah. um, on the same level as the cadence of a rider. Yeah. So rider cadence typically somewhere around 80 maybe. Mm -hmm. um, and an electric motor likes to spin with a couple of thousand RPMs. Okay. If you force it to spin very slow, it gets less efficient. If you have it spin very fast, it gets uh, noisy. Mm -hmm. So there's a sweet spot somewhere in between. Yeah. So every e-bike motor, at least the mid-motors, have um, this set of planetary gears and cogwheels to to bring the RPMs into harmony. Mm -hmm. And our luck with the pin ring technology is that we can do this in a single step. So we actually just have two um, two uh, rings yeah. that are interconnecting. And um, in this single step, we can do the transmission or, or the, the ratio change from the fast spinning electric yeah. motor. And uh, we scale it down by 17.5 to the RPM of the rider. Okay. So if you take the rider cadence, and to make it simple, let's say he's riding with a cadence of 100, yeah. um, then the electric motor is spinning, spinning with a cadence 17.5 um, times as fast. Okay. And that single step, is that a big enabler in making this whole thing both smaller and lighter, I guess? Yeah. So the single step has a lot of benefits. The mm -hmm. single step makes it much smaller, um, much lighter. And um, the single step also makes it less noisy. Yeah. Because we only have, we have much less teeth um, that like mesh. tolerance yeah. and everything the teeth are meshing but yeah. it's it's just one step so we only have one tolerance the tolerance chain is very short there's mm -hmm. not a lot of lack there's not a lot of like you know rattling noises and whatever it can come from a set of um, cogwheels yeah and um, it helps us to really follow the rider input much closer the connection between the rider and the electric motor which is the source of the power yeah is much closer much directer uh, okay Interesting. And Anna showed me the parts yesterday and I was pretty fascinated to see that the the kind of the metal gearing is meshing with plastic. Yeah. And yeah. the zero wear. The plastic yeah. thing never yeah. needs replacing. Yeah, that's actually a pretty good combination. If you have metal on metal, it's a bit harsh and yeah. it tends to be noisier. Yeah. And um the combination it's it's a very special plastic, so it's um it's a yeah pretty technical and we did a lot of fine-tuning and calculations to get that dialed in perfectly but it, it's a kind of self-lubricating so it's a really good connection um, that's good for wear and also for things like noise and stuff yeah. like that impressive stuff so obviously you've got this harmonic pin ring technology and that came from the tq like history right that's yeah. something that tq have used and designed in the past so there was a familiarity there that's obviously helped you what were the other things you set out to achieve with the motor? Because, you know, size and weight is one thing, but I think there are a lot of other characteristics of this system that are pretty unique in the market. Yeah. Yeah, so with the HPR 120S, we kind of started with the product and then we looked for a market and we tried to learn from that and we really focused on the use case. So the first thing we did is we really looked what does the rider need and we defined that and that then defined the product. Uh -huh. So... Uh, we ju we didn't say okay we were going to make a battery 360 watt hours we're going we actually said okay what range do we want to achieve with a certain um, rider and a certain set of uh, assist a certain level of assist yeah and that defined the battery size and in the same way we took like we looked at every single feature and every single component within the motor and on the bike we looked at this way so sensors for example we we had a specific natural ride feel that we wanted to achieve and that led uh, us to the point where we decided okay which sensors do we need on board to achieve this so um, 
everything in this motor and every component on the bike was designed around the specific use case. Yeah, impressive stuff. Really, like, beyond my uh, comprehension, really. Like, a lot of this stuff is so complex and really hard to get to. You talk about this, like, rider feel and it being um, intuitive. What does that mean? How would you, like take that apart and explain it because it's it's quite a complex topic i think yeah i think like the biggest compliment is that you forget you're sitting on an e-bike i mean obviously there's a lot of assist you get 300 watts of assist from the motor yeah and that is noticeable that you're much faster and you're just flying uphill and you you can do your your loop much quicker and you can get more more um ride time Mm -hmm. or you can get more miles in the same ride time um so there's definitely something happening. And if you switch off the motor assist, you definitely notice a difference. Yeah. But a great compliment for us would be that uh, you forget you're sitting on an e-bike. You just feel like, wow, today I'm just like my legs and I'm, I'm just flying. And um, that's that's exactly what happens now, in, in uh, my opinion. So um, the motor just assists really naturally. It just follows your input so closely that it doesn't feel like it's two different power sources. It mm-hmm. feels like it's coming from your legs. Yeah. And then um, we really focused on other things a lot, like the noise, for example. I mean, at the time, it was 2019, e-bike motors were noisy. <laughs> yeah, well, and they still are to a great many, extent. Yeah. yeah, and we were talking to many people and everyone was like, ah, don't over-prioritize noise. I mean, it's just, how, it's just the way it is and people accept it. But we felt like it's a really important building block for natural ride feel, yeah. that you actually don't have the sound reminding you and everyone around you that you're actually riding an e-bike yeah so for us i think this natural ride feel would the essence would be you forget that you're riding an e-bike so it's the best of both worlds yeah can you talk us through some of the things maybe that you've done on the noise side obviously you've got this harmonic pin ring which enables you like you say you've got less interfaces less things going on you've got a much tighter tolerance control are there other elements here that play into that whole like noise and vibration piece that yeah. enable you to keep this thing quiet because yeah. I've ridden it and it is very quiet. Like you can just about hear it if you're on a road, but once you're off road, it's it's inaudible, I would say. Yeah, I think it's it's there where it needs to be. It, you, you can forget about it. If you really focus on it and spin super high RPM, you can hear it if mm-hmm. you really want to, but normally you don't. Yeah. Um, so what we did, like you mentioned it before, um, the material pairing, Mm-hmm. Um, we worked a lot on that to to get like beneficial material pairings um, so that it's it, that doesn't create noise. Yeah. Then we have the um, only the one interface in our gearing, which helps a lot. And um, then a big, big source of noise is RPM. Okay. So um, if you imagine like a power tool or something, it's fast spinning and it, you get this whining noise, the typical electric motor noise. Yeah. And a lot of e-bike motors have it. And there's a good reason to it because a higher RPM makes it much easier to design the electric motor. Um, it likes to spin fast, so you can just take a simple electric motor. You don't need to do a lot of engineering. Mm-hmm. You can just take it off the shelf, put it in the bike, and it will be all right. Um, and we we have a lot of experience with electric motors, so we took the challenge of actually bringing the RPM down. Mm-hmm. So our reduction ratio of 17.5 rider cadence compared to rpm of the motor is very very low okay. other e-bike motors have around 40 50 uh, okay. so, so the motor is spinning much much faster much faster yeah. yeah yeah in our case we took it down pretty low which is a is a guarantee for us to bring the noise down yeah 
So that really helped us a lot. And you get a much closer, the RPM of the motor and the rider are much closer, so you yeah. can get a much closer director assist. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but then your motor efficiency is reducing, so in you've theory, got to bring that back somehow. Exactly. In yeah. theory, the motor um, efficiency is reduced because the motor would like higher RPM. Yeah. But that's where our know-how comes in, that we do a lot of electric motors mm -hmm. for decades. We've been designing electric motors for all different industrial applications. So we know what, what to do to bring the efficiency back up. Yeah. So we actually designed the motor exactly for this reduction ratio and exactly the RPMs that it's going to have inside a bike. Uh -huh. And we, we set the sweet spot of the motor for that RPM. Very clever. <laughs> what other kind of big uh, hurdles were then, then to get from the base technology to get into something that was like production ready? What were some of the biggest challenges for you? Because nothing's ever straightforward. Huh? No, I mean, like the, the, the thing is full of challenges. <laughs> we, we didn't make it easy for ourselves. So <laughs> we really focused on the use case, like I said, and we, we didn't want to take any shortcuts anywhere. Yeah. So um, there's a lot of um, innovations in there. There's a lot of patents within the motor. Um, there's a lot of technology. Yeah, we, we kind of know it from other industries, but uh, there's also a lot of stuff we just came up with, like sensors, for example. Yeah. Um, the torque sensor in the motor is very special as well. It's also patented. Um, we we looked what what sensors are around, and many e-bike uh, drive units use off-the-shelf sensors. So there's companies specialized in making torque sensors, and you just buy the sensor, you integrate it into your design. Maybe make some adaptions here and there, but apart from that, it works. But now with our gearing technology, we can achieve a motor that is so compact in size that we found that no none of the standard sensors would fit inside, <laughs> and it feels wrong to yeah. make the motor bigger just to fit the sensor in there yeah so we said okay what space do we have available and with our with our electronics know-how and our in other know-how in other different industries how can we fit a sensor inside that motor and that's exactly what we did so we just came up with our own sensor concept and then uh, somewhere down the way we found out okay this is actually new it's not hasn't been around yet so we we tried to protect the technology with a patent um but it's all driven by by our use case and by our goal yeah um, so the challenges like that are all over the place yeah we didn't we didn't waste a gram anywhere so yeah. like i mean it's the same with bike frames if you want if you accept that the frame is going to be heavy it's easy to make it work you just you know double the layers everywhere and you're good to go but if you want to go for the perfect product then it takes more iterations and it also takes more challenges and yeah um, frustration here and there to get yeah, it yeah. get it done. Yeah. So just to make sure everyone's clear, I guess the sensor is what is uh, reading and recording the rider input, and then that allows the electronic system to decide what the motor's going to do. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. one of the sensors. So there's several sensors in yeah. there, and what the sensors do is they kind of monitor the rider. Yeah. And they try to understand what he's doing and what mm -hmm. he wants. And uh, that controls what the motor is going to give you as an assist. Yeah, yeah. It feels like this whole thing from the start's been very rider focused. I would say um, the f the first bike you launched with was the the Trek Fuel EXE, um, which has been a outstanding success. I was lucky enough to spend a few weeks with one recently before coming out here. So I guess it's worth talking a little bit about that that ride experience because I think the the biggest well, there's two there's two. Well, no, go on. I think there's three big things when you get hold of that bike. One is the weight. 
like it doesn't feel really any different it's probably a kilo heavier than a sort of fully kitted out enduro bike which is insane um so good work on on that um the second thing is the noise and the fact that there really isn't very much compared to other e-bikes especially when you get back on an on a regular e-bike and you it reminds you how noisy those things actually are which I think does detract from the experience of mountain biking for me. Like part of mountain biking is being out in the countryside and the countryside isn't whiny and noisy <laughs> like the city maybe is. Um, so it's cool to be on a bike like that out in the, out in the wilds. Um, and then the third thing is this rider feel, which is a lot less easy to explain. I think like, I don't know how you guys kind of interpret that, but I felt like I just felt like a fitter version of me. And I had three options as to how much fitter I was going to be, if that makes sense, which is the modes of the system. Like I didn't feel like I was riding something with another brain. Like on other e-bikes, I find my there's a connection between my input and what the motor does, and I don't understand it. I can't see the calibration, and it doesn't quite feel like a hundred percent connection between me the interpretation between my input and the output of the bike doesn't quite make sense and sometimes that catches me out certainly on technical climbs like that sort of stuff can be a bit unusual and i didn't feel that with the tq system yeah that was exactly the goal that we were aiming for yeah uh, how because there must still be a motor calibration what is it and i may i don't know how much of this you can give away and how much is like a, a trade secret kind of thing but like how would you explain how what's different about the way you deal with rider input and the way you convert that to the additional power and the way you deliver that yeah i think there's two sides to it there's the the software side and the algorithm um, but there's also the hardware side so this much director connection between the electric motor and the rider makes it easier for us in a way uh, to to get this natural ride feel and then on the other side i mean the sensor like i said is not off the shelf we designed it for specifically this application so it has one job and everything in there has exact is designed for exactly this so um i think yeah the sensors the hardware everything that we have in there is all focusing on natural ride feel and then if we come with a good algorithm on top um, that has some some little secrets here and there then i think we can achieve a really good uh, ride feel yeah and is the is the calibration something that the bike company have some control over like could it be different could you ride a tq system in a trek and then a tq system in a different bike and it feels slightly different yeah yeah okay. for sure so that's a little bit of freedom that we want to give to the um, to our customers, to their um, bike brands, mm -hmm. that they can actually uh, influence the, the ride feel a little bit. So, of course, we set our boundaries where we, we believe this product makes sense and should should be ridden. But, um, like, the bike has different geometries, uh, different, like, we have downcountry bikes, we have drop bar bikes, we have uh, enduros, and they maybe yeah need a little bit of a different tune. So we cater for that, that we actually send our engineers... Um, together with with our with our uh, the product managers of trek for example mm -hmm. we send them uh, out to ride together and we we do a couple of iterations of that to really tune in the the, the ride feel that this bike needs and this product needs yeah so um yeah a trek 
out of the box. Um, a track fuel EXE will ride differently or the motor tune will be slightly different and adapted to the bike yeah. compared to uh, the Mani Plus uh, road bike, yeah. uh, for example. Yeah. And what's it been like then, like working alongside Trek? Because, I mean, one of the biggest bike brands in the world, you couldn't really have a better partner to launch this system with, I guess. Like we'll talk about maybe the, the brand and the marketing side of things in a second, but let's just get the the engineering stuff first. Like how was it? working with that team yeah it was it was really cool so it was amazingly easy to work with them um, i mean they're a huge american brand and uh, yeah sometimes we uh we were a bit worried of how they would uh, like would we work on you know would they see us on the same level and how fair would this partnership be but now looking back the past few years i can say we really yeah we've grown together and we have a great basis of trust and i mean there were some challenges along the way mm -hmm. and i think if you run into a challenge then you really notice how good a partnership works and um yeah we've been very lucky with our partners and uh, trek um, is definitely one of the uh, the leading partners there definitely yeah the level of kind of engineering detail like i've seen reports from uh, some noise vibration work in a semi-anechoic chamber with the bike which is You know, something that I'm familiar with from my past in the engineering world, but I don't think I've ever seen, maybe it's been done, but I don't think I've ever seen a bike in a semi-anechoic chamber before. It's awesome to see like the level of work that's gone into making that thing yeah. as good as it is. I think on their side, they went just as much all in as we did. So the feedback we got from them, the support we got, we learned so much from them about um, designing frames and stuff like that. Not that we design frames, but the interface needs to needs to work so for sure um, that's all the little details we, we learned a lot from them we had very early test rides with very early prototypes and yeah. yeah they gave us a lot of support there yeah and i guess you know the way that the system is mounted into the bike is also going to impact that noise right the bike is there to potentially amplify any, it impacts noise, noise yeah. yeah and also like if this interface is not ideal then it also creates weight maybe yeah. not in the drive unit but in the end the frame needs to be um, stiffer or something and that adds weight so in the end the total bike weight will go up and then yeah we missed something yeah yeah Anna let's talk a little bit about the the brand and the marketing side of things because like you've got quite a challenge I guess in that you're bringing to the mountain bike world a brand that no one's aware of right TQ is brand new to the mountain bike world pre this Trek bike really uh, maybe the HP 120S had some kind of awareness but I don't think many people will know it from that how have you gone about like starting to build this brand because it is almost invisible right this the the trek silhouette it doesn't really look much like an e-bike it's quite tucked away so how yeah how have you started to build that brand awareness and and respect for tq within the mountain bike world that's a big question that is a big loaded question <laughs> right there um yeah so with the previous product with the hp 120s we've had some sort of market penetration but it was focused mainly on the german-speaking market e-bike market so the people in the know would know yeah but the rest of the world let's be realistic didn't know <laughs> none of the north american english-speaking mountain bike market road bike market none of us would know just because tq has never been a big marketing company we're based around the product we strive for product excellence for innovation And just looking into the f future industries. So we haven't been built around marketing. So there was like a big challenge for us. And especially with the HPR 50. So now you have a product. You cannot hear it. 
visually it's almost not there you cannot feel it it's just this feeling so if you don't test it how do you explain that stuff plus you're launching next to the one of the biggest brands in the industry yeah which is pretty much a threat but also the biggest gift that we've been given uh-huh. with this partnership and just track being a really good launching uh, partner and then with all of the other brands coming after them it's been a great experience but it was a big mind bender <laughs> because first of all it took a while until we also had in like here in inning in germany the prototypes to be able to ride on because how do you market stuff that you haven't ridden yeah you just see some components and it's all so technical and of course the easiest way is just to put it into an excel table spreadsheet exp- just put it next to all of your competitors here are the numbers yeah this is what it means this is what the numbers mean for you that's it that's the end of the conversation that's uh, how a lot of people actually perceive technology in in bikes or bikes in general yeah and uh, we said no let's try it the emotional way so really just channeling in okay how does it feel to ride this thing so it's this just what everybody loves on cycling feeling of freedom feeling that fresh air in your in your face once you hit the paddles you just go anywhere and it doesn't matter if you have a half an hour if you have one hour it doesn't matter if you're with your friends they're not annoyed by you because you're yeah. loud they don't, they're not annoyed by you because you cannot keep up because let's be realistic we all as we sit here have like quite demanding jobs so you know <laughs> the fitness goes down the drain for sure so it is a lot of fun when you know that you can keep keep up with a lot of fit friends or just in general anyone yeah. and not being the disturbing element so we fo- really focused on that and then trek came in with uh, also just seeing us for the tech company that we actually are for the huge heritage in robotics and aerospace and just bringing that one up and being like okay that's and a great talking point for you guys and we're like actually yeah that is exactly what we are like we don't need to build any brand out of nowhere yeah we just take what we have which is the heritage being an electronics company market leading working with great um great customers and having the team of real people just really passionate people about the product and about cycling nice and you made that point about kind of mixed group rides i guess like people on normal bikes and people on uh e-bikes and so far for me that's a mix that really hasn't worked in general unless someone's like way way fitter or way less fit like it's the bikes are too different whereas the the fuel exe with that tq system in i think you're right it is it is that bike that you can take on a ride with people that aren't on them you could go on a ride with e-bikes on it like if you're fit enough there's a good ability to overlap it feels much more we had this conversation a bit yesterday for me, up until riding that, e-bikes felt like a different thing to mountain bikes. This bike with the TQ driving feels like a mountain bike on which I'm just a bit fitter. <laughs> like, if you turn the system off, it feels basically like a normal bike. Descending it, it feels 100% like a normal bike. Like that, maybe one kilo of additional weight is virtually impossible to notice, I would say. So there's none of the... some. I think e-bikes descend pretty well, but there's definitely areas where the weight of them is a negative. Um, and it just doesn't have that with the system, which is a, so yeah, it's cool that you've got this thing that, that sits like that. What, what was it like when you guys finally like got to ride it in the, 
what was effectively the final product because you said it was a little a little while before it was available to you must have been fun yeah like you couldn't get me off the bike for sure <laughs> it's just so much fun but it was the early stages prototypes no one was allowed to see it it was also like full-blown covid everywhere so not really a chance to travel anywhere far where people wouldn't recognize you yeah and it was just going into the mountains kind of incognito no logos nothing everything just super secret just with your work friends and uh, not being able to include any of your friends and you're like so hyped about this and you're like oh my god this is coming <laughs> like and this bike is so good and like it's gonna change cycling because it's just this entry-level e-bike and not entry-level from a price point point of view yeah it's just for people who haven't seen e-bikes as something that has been made for them yeah because they're great the full power e-bikes i mean people love them and there is a good reason to love them. Oh yeah, them. they definitely have a place. Yeah. yeah. There's no doubt, doubt about that, but for still a lot of people have been hesitant towards e-bikes because there was no one catering to them and just making something that's so stealth. Mm. And now here we are. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think especially the guys over at Pink Bike, they recognize that as well. Big shout out to them. Um we didn't think that it would be possible to just convert so many people, especially <laughs> in North America, because with the e-biking, they're still quite a few years behind than the German-speaking market uh-huh. or just generally European market. And uh, now with this, it's not in, it's not the tech is not in your face. Yeah, yeah, it's very unobtrusive for sure. Mm-hmm. How was that uh, initial Trek launch then? Like finally getting all these journalists in one place and hearing their feedback on something that you've worked on for what? six plus years probably well yeah i mean the technology has been around for that long yeah. uh, the product the project itself um kind of kicked off with a test ride we did with trek in october 19 okay so somewhere around three years we yeah. worked on it but uh, like anna said we we ter- all turned into very lonely riders <laughs> riding prototypes somewhere by ourselves and yeah i got into the habit of wearing a full face helmet just to make sure no one could tell who i am <laughs> not to get into any awkward uh, conversations yeah um and then finally we could show what we were working on for so long and i mean i, I think we both agree on that it was like an, an amazing day we were so happy and so proud to just share what we were what we were doing uh, for the past few years. Yeah. What was the feedback like from the press on that? Because it is a unique product, I think. Yeah. And um, you have a small group of people that have been working on this project and we've been getting a lot of feedback from the OEMs that we've had on board uh, from external companies, agencies, different kinds of riders who had the chance to test the prototypes, product managers from other companies. So we got a good feel on how we should communicate this. Okay. But of course, it's the industry, it's the journalists, it's the end consumers, it's the retailers that decide, okay, th- what you're telling us is no marketing bullcrap, you know? <laughs> what you're telling us, it, oh, it actually works. So it is this nature right feel. It is the cycling just a little bit better. It is you just fitter. And all these claims we like thought of, Two years ahead, we started with this building up onto this big marketing campaign. And just at that day, having those people sit on the bike during the press camp, we had it, um, we held it over here. 
together with Trek. So they've been a great support. They flew all the right people in and then we were able to just go on a ride with them and have them over, show them the production line, show them the robots that are working on the motors here where we're sitting in Inning. Yeah. And then go for a ride, have a barbecue and just have a good old time, drink some beers. That's just what Tiki does. <laughs> and uh, listening to them just being like, yeah, this product, it works. Like, yeah. it's it's going to change things. Definitely. And then we had a couple more weeks just working very stealth under the radar. And then Eurobike 2022 came. Yeah. And we launched the night before. <laughs> yeah, I remember I was sitting at the booth. It wasn't still fully built. It was full of dust alone. There, All the other booths were like being built up around me, just like refreshing the button on my laptop. I'm like, <laughs> where are all the articles? Like, when is it all going online? Then our website went online, Trek website went online. Then we have this like WhatsApp group. So everybody was like, on their way to Frankfurt <laughs> in the cars, the rest of the team, just like, oh my God, it's all online. Like, have you seen this? Have you seen this video? Have you read this article? And then I think everybody just stayed. Like, we had a good dinner, had some drinks, and just stayed up late reading all the articles. So I can't imagine that Danny probably didn't get any sleep that night, <laughs> just going through so much text and videos that night, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, it was just so nice to see that that people actually understood uh, the product yeah. and they they agreed on our on our thoughts on our decisions there's so many decisions we had to make down the the road and um it's it was really nice to see that uh, actually yeah people understand it and people share our opinion yeah the the response was super positive i think what's it been like now that it's been in the hands of the general public for what somewhere in the region of 12 months it's been available although it's pretty hard to get hold of one i think like they've been popular and sold out in pretty much all models all sizes good i i mean of course there's some challenges still and uh, we're still you know growing um production numbers and everything so it's not like uh, it's becoming boring in any way and there's a roadmap so we're working on other stuff as well um but it's been really good. I mean, I, I think we've been really fortunate with our customers, also like the other brands hopping on board. Um, we have some amazing uh, brands um, out there and um, Trek leading the way and then many others um, following with their own interpretation of our HPR 50. Um, we have bikes in all different categories from road bikes to down country bikes to yeah, seven hundred seventy mil enduro bikes. So there's everything there for everyone. Yeah. Um, were, were you working with other OEMs like in parallel with Trek or yeah. you were? So yeah. what, yeah, what other bikes is it in now? There's quite a few systems already launched, yeah? Yeah, yeah. I mean, a, a, a huge one for sure is Scott. Uh -huh. um, they they have it in their Lumen model, for example. That's a, um, kind of like a down-country bike, yeah. a trail, short travel trail bike. And they have it in um, Solace as well, which is a gravel and um, road bike. Um, then, I mean, we can list them. Maybe we should. I mean, they're Maybe all amazing yeah. brands. Yeah, yeah. yeah so I counted it. It's eight brands now. Nice. Um, and each of the brands, some of them have one one integration, some of them multiple integrations. So Trek would be two bikes. Yeah, we talked about that. Then Scott. Then um, the second kind of wave was also um, Simplon. Yeah. So they have this just award-winning all across the board enduro bike. So that's a proper machine. But just looking at that Repkin 
and the rap can be max TQ with the motor. So they have an analog version of that. It's insane. Like there is no chance for normal people to be able to recognize <laughs> it's an e-bike compared to their non to their analog enduro. They have a really nice touring bike as well, the Silk Carbon. Um, then BMC mm-hmm. launched as well. Um, so they have a very it's like a Swiss knife of mountain bikes. I really like that. Um, 120 mil cross country full suspension bike and a drop bar bike. Yeah. Um, the road machine. Which is also very fun to ride, very fast. Um, and then in this spring, we launched together with Rotwild, and they have a smaller battery, so it's been custom made together with them. So it's a 120 watt hour battery. So it, again, it's next level interpretation of our mm-hmm. system. It's a, sorry, it's a 250. Sorry, what did I say? <laughs> 120. Oh, that would be very little. <laughs> that would be very little, yeah, 250 watt. To be fair, though, I was surprised at the range because I had a little bit, um, I'm definitely a range anxiety kind of guy, and I def- I had that concern because I, I know it's a smaller battery than I've been used to, but equally, I guess the the motor is lower power, but I, my local hill is very steep, um, but I still had it in like the highest mode for most of the ride, had a decent ride out and came back with 50% of the battery left, so... I'm surprised with that. Is it is it like an efficiency thing? Is that what's enabling you to maybe get more than you'd expect from that battery? Mm, yeah, so uh, like it's definitely an efficiency thing. Yeah. Um, and most people thinking of efficiency, they always think of the um, motor, the drive unit, uh, which is right. I yeah. mean, that plays a role. But there's also an efficiency within the battery. Okay. Um, so how good does the battery actually handle the cells? How well does it actually drain the energy the cells have in there? Yeah. And um, and then there's also the connection between the motor and the battery. So how well do these two work together to achieve the maximum range? Yeah. So um, system efficiency, I think, is the the key word there. Yeah. And we definitely worked a lot on that. Yeah. Okay. Because like every cell we add adds weight, so we were really trying to dial in the the perfect battery size um, Interesting. to get as far as you need to. So not all watt hours are equal, basically. That's no, what we're for saying. Sure not. Yeah. Yeah, it depends sure not. on how it's set up, how the yeah, how control well is used. The cells match yeah. the, the, the actual use case, so how uh, much the motor actually um, yeah, challenges them. Yeah. All that, it's like, yeah, it's happening on a lot of levels. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm, okay. Sorry, we were at Rot, rot Rail. Yeah, sorry. I was just rolling with the brands. <laughs> <laughs> but we're getting, I was getting to the end of it, so we stopped with Rotwild and their 250-watt-hour battery. Very good, yeah. <laughs> it's under 20, you probably wouldn't even charge your phone. Um, and then uh, Pinarello came, launched in March, which was a big launch. It's, I mean, Pinarello is an insane brand. It just has so much legacy and heritage and just their meaning to the to the cycling industry is massive racing yeah. really just making a mark on the on the road bike map so it's integrated in the nitro so there's a road and gravel and uh, kind of like an urban city variation of these bikes um they're very well executed very good italian design like that looking speedy yeah, we talked about it with Chris at dinner last night. And then uh, the latest addition to the TQ family was the uh, Fantix, so another Italian brand. Yeah. Just really pushing the price also a little bit lower because now we're at the very high-end premium product price range. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just where the technology is and where you go with the kind of innovation that we're offering to the market. Yeah. And 
And I think there are a few more brands that we could list, um, but they're still coming up. So I can can imagine your phone and your email has been quite busy (laughs) since you launched this bike because it has received so much praise that I'm guessing most OEMs are kind of knocking at your door and wanting to work with you, which is a a nice problem to have, but a problem, I guess, like you can't do everything. This episode, I think we're going to launch it on 12th of July Uh um, and it's one year anniversary of the big launch and just a few weeks after that it's gonna get really exciting again <laughs> so yeah whoever doesn't have the and the bike with tiki hpr 50 they can there's gonna be more yeah i think i think um just for us it is a very fortunate situation to be in like uh, it's not to sound cocky but we can in a way decide who the right brands are for us yeah and i think that's like mega important because um like we just talked about tq was basically unheard of and I think the brands that we launch with really give us give us character, give yeah, us our brand 100%. and identity. If I'm talking in uh, in your topic, great now. marketing talk. Uh, Love thank it. You. Yeah. <laughs> Go on. Um, so it's it's really we're really fortunate that we can pick the ones that actually fit to us. Yeah. And um, yeah, give us the right um, direction. It shows that you've created something special. If you're in that position to come from unknown commodity within the industry to suddenly picking and choosing who you work with overnight. It's yeah. like you've obviously made That's something pretty special. Yeah. yeah. And it's also very important for us to, because we know that being in this niche category, people have such a high expectations as they should have. Yeah. And very high demands as they should have for this kind of price category. So for us, it's also important to work with OEMs that understand the concept and don't try to make anything else out of it. Okay. So to really make it a well-rounded product that works yeah. well. Rather than trying to dilute it, make it cheaper. or Exactly. Yeah, yeah we're not looking for sales. We're looking for partners. Uh-huh. So, of course, we need to sell bikes and yeah. uh, systems uh, to make a living, but we're looking for strong partnerships to really push the product forward. Yeah. And it's been well received, not just from the public in a sales context and brands knocking on your door, but there's a couple of awards up on the wall behind you. Tell us a bit about those, Anna. They must have been nice to receive. Yeah. it's uh, So the first one we've received was by Pinkbike. So there was just a couple of days after Christmas. We're all on holidays. And I just saw the article that we've been nominated. And then a couple of days later, I saw the article that we got the Innovation of the Year Award. And yeah, it's just sitting somewhere skiing probably just <laughs> had a had a little cry by myself it's just <laughs> it's pretty tears of joy right is that tears the, of joy is that the first like um I couldn't believe it sis e-bike system to win an innovation award a system yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly um e-bike anything right mm, there was a turbo levo oh, okay. uh, or levo sl i think uh-huh. levo sl won an innovation of as the a, year as a bike as a bike yeah, as yeah. a whole bike yeah. but now it was just literally the system from a magazine or a community that's been hating on e-bikes for so long (laughs) (laughs) yeah you're starting to turn people around eh? yeah we do we do it always puts a big smile on my face when i see people who haven't been into e-biking because before i started working at tq i was like e-bike no wouldn't (laughs) wouldn't touch one now look at me just avid (laughs) (laughs) e-cyclist and the other one is the design award so that's another big industry award that we got in the components category, yeah. which we're very, very proud of. Yeah, shows you're doing good stuff. So where did TQ go from here then? It feels like a pretty incredible start uh, to hopefully a long future in the mountain bike world. But where do you see things 
going from a brand perspective and then maybe we'll also talk about sort of a product and a technology perspective too. So last year it was a very big task for us to kind of get the brand in front of the right people in the e-mountain biking category because that was definitely the focus also sales-wise. Most of the bikes are e-mountain bikes. Um, this year it's just we're moving away from the e because we realized that now okay the e world they know the people in the know they know and now all the people that don't consider e-bikes a valid option for them they should know so this year is definitely big introduction of tq to the mountain biking kind of sector target groups also not forgetting about retailers mm -hmm. that's a big big task just because they are the pe first people in the line especially if there are problems so we're not forgetting about them and just trying to activate them a lot doing uh, trainings programs for them webinars and um Then probably moving on to the road bike market, gravel okay. market, because um, it is potential. It's not as growing as everybody was hoping for, but maybe again, it is still the critical mass that is missing. Maybe it is still the products that are missing, yeah. that which are making that so much more fun. And I've been, uh, I've been speaking to a few people in North America, so they're um, allowed to go a bit faster with the system, which is, of course, on roads and on gravel. More fun because yeah. for a mountain bike, 25 kilometers per hour, it's fine. You don't really need to go any faster than that. But on a road, on a gravel, definitely have yeah. that little bit more need for speed. And it is a product for them. It is product for North America, for okay. sure. Yeah. Interesting. What about from a technology side of things? How do you see e-bike technology progressing? And it doesn't have to necessarily just be like within TQ, but in general, like, will we see things continue to get smaller and lighter? Like, is there still scope there? Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, with the HBR 50 um, drive unit, I think we're, we achieved a pretty good uh, benchmark, but I still see potential there in scaling. Mm -hmm. And then um, I think like battery technology is moving forward. Yeah. So there's some stuff happening there. Um, for sure, there that's going to um, change in the future. And then I think like it's no secret. I think the big uh, next thing is integration. So we we suddenly have a big battery here on board, and a lot of bikes have e-shifting and e-dropper posts and whatever. Yeah. And the next step is going to be to integrate more of that, um, but always keeping the rider in the focus. Okay. I think like um, techie people as we are, it's super easy to just fall in love with technology <laughs> and get carried away. Yeah, tech and, for tech's um, sake. The good thing is that uh, we also passionate riders, so um, we always try to kind of yeah step back a bit and. Uh, focus on what's really important to the rider and mm -hmm. if there's not a rider benefit behind it then there's no no reason to do it yeah do you see benefit in taking kind of your system to a higher power level and using some of that rider feel like quality of kind of calibration and stuff at a higher power level i mean i guess it's with that brings challenges around, still around scale and noise and that kind of stuff yeah but. yeah but i like I think um, with the with the HBR 50 now compared to the HBR 120s, we kind of have proven that our technology is scalable. Mm -hmm. So now it's um, it's our next step is to yeah decide in which direction we want to scale it. Yeah, and um, without kind of losing our USPs. So yeah. our USPs of being lightest, um, smallest, and quietest in its category is what we're going to take and 
bring it into different categories. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I would 100% love to have that feel across any e-bike I ever rode because it's definitely the most intuitive, I think. It, does, it doesn't feel like there's a computer in between me and the bike for the first time on any kind of e-bike. Which yeah, is that's a huge compliment. Super cool. <laughs> yeah, you've done a very good job. Well, it's been really interesting finding out more about the brand and the product. It's incredible what you've achieved in such a short space of time and the reaction from riders, journalists, the market just shows that you've done some really good stuff. So congratulations. I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes and seeing more stuff. If people want to find out more, Anna, where's the best place for them to be looking? The internet. So definitely <laughs> go check out our website. It's full of very exciting CGI. So you can see inside of the motor. It explodes in front of you. Nice. Uh, we put a lot of work into that. So it's very re it's realism. Mm -hmm. CGI's TQE bike. Just type that one in into Google, Bing, mm -hmm. whatever you're using. And then the classic social media, um, TQE bike over Instagram, Facebook and YouTube. Perfect. I'll so stick. go slide into our DMs. If yeah. you're riding uh, TQE <laughs> powered e-bike, tag us. Good stuff. Yeah, I will uh, put links in the show notes. People can find all that stuff nice and easily. But yeah, thank you for uh, having me out here, showing me around, letting me see inside the motors. And uh, yeah, all the best for the future. Thank you so much. Thank you, Chris. All right, that's it for this episode with Anna and Daniel. I really hope you've enjoyed it. If you want to find out any more about TQ, then head over to their website, which is tq-ebike.com. A massive thanks to Gorewear for supporting this episode. If you're looking for the highest quality clothing that will enable you to get out on your bike in all weather conditions, then Gorewear has you covered with technical products that are backed with quality engineering and innovation that last the test of time. As a downtime listener, you can get 20% off the entire range until the end of August. Just use the code DOWNTIME20 at the checkout over on gorewear.com. This offer works in both the US and the EU web stores, so that's DOWNTIME, all in capitals, followed by the number 20 over at Gorewear. Com. Also, a massive thanks to InvisiFrame. If you want to keep your bike looking brand new and also make sure you get the best resale value possible when that time comes, then get your bike InvisiFrame protected now. As a downtime listener, you can get 20% off worldwide using the code DOWNTIME20 for the month of July. That's downtime all uppercase, followed by the number 20 over at InvisiFrame.co.uk. Also, don't forget, if you want to help support the podcast, then the best way to do that is by heading over to patreon.com forward slash downtime podcast and setting up a donation. That's Patreon spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. If Patreon doesn't work for you, then there's other ways you can help too, like telling your friends about the show, sharing the episodes on your social media and leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. Also, we've got t-shirts, sweatshirts and hoodies at downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop. All right, there's loads more awesome stuff coming over the course of the year, so make sure you're following us wherever it is you listen by hitting that button in your podcast app or by heading to downtimepodcast.com forward slash follow. You can also get a little bit of extra downtime by signing up to our newsletter at downtimepodcast.com forward slash newsletter. All right, that's it for today. We're going to have another awesome episode coming up really soon. But until next time, get out and ride. <laughs>